Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter with Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Hopefully everybody's doing well. Happy to have Steve Shirk back on. Steve is uh, obviously our hunting tactics guy. He's uh, he's out of Pennsylvania, and he runs a guide service down there. Steve, are you on the line? Yep, I'm here. Cool. All right, man. How you been? What's going on? Oh, no, just uh, enjoying, uh, I guess, uh, the early summer, we could call it, um, trying to get in the woods especially and try to figure out, you know, what deer we're going to have and what they're going to be as far as antler growth. And because I guess before long, it'll be fall and uh, want to make sure I have all my ducks in a row to say the least. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I kind of just wonder just from a number standpoint, on average through the summer, how many bucks are you typically keeping an eye on? I know you're focused on yourself and, and your clients, um, but you know, what would you say the number of, of target deer typically is for you over the summer months? Um, I'd say probably like, you know, 40 to 50. You have to understand that, uh, you know, we're covering a massive amount of area. It's not like I'm some outfitter that, you know, that's even on like a thousand acres. We're talking, you know, over a hundred thousand acres at least. So pretty spread out, but, uh, you know, I'd say 40 to 50 bucks every year. Not always score is, you know, something we're keeping an eye on, but if we find a big old mature deer that we've been following for years, we'll, We'll try to stay on them and hopefully get a crack at them. Yeah, a big difference between a lot of people. And the one thing, of course, you're putting a lot of time afield. It's, you know, the numbers of deer and trying to break any, break down each deer is always kind of one of those, you know, things that, that take time. Yep. You know, I'm in this situation right now where I, I think there's two target deer that I, that are alive on the properties that I hunt, on my, my own property, then, then an adjacent property. And, um, you know, it's it's a lot easier when you have uh, smaller quantities or less things to worry about. You can be a lot more specific and, and focus on maybe some more of the details. The thing that I'm recognizing right now is I'm, I'm really noticing a food shift. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, a couple of things I've done on my property and, and maybe not be related to big woods hunting, but it's relevant to just style and system. And, and I was talking to this because uh, I'm, I'm working on an implementation job right now. I let my triticale uh, you know, basically go to seed and, uh, 
and that's in a, a clover plot and it's probably four and a half feet tall. I've noticed just cameras. Uh, I've noticed more bucks just comparably bucks to does and compared to last year, which it was, mm-hmm. I forget what he, I had going in in the springtime, but I didn't have anything four or five foot tall. I've noticed more bucks in that particular food plot and on a consistent basis. So, you know, it, it's sure. just it, totally anecdotal, but Again, it's, you know, it's creating this level of traction and interest on your properties. And in your case, it's breaking down deer and why they're using certain areas. And certainly summer food preferences are, are a huge thing for, for deer. And I just kind of laid one out there. Yep. Tangential, but definitely a topic to consider. So let's kind of uh, maybe break down a little bit what you're doing right now and why. Sure. I mean, the biggest thing right now is starting to gather an inventory, even though, uh, you know, as far as antler size goes, it's still a little bit early to tell, obviously, what deer are going to be. But, um, you know, just trying to trying to get an idea where the bachelor groups are located. Uh, you can still definitely tell, you know, right now if a buck's mature or, or not. Or a lot of them, I can just, I've had so many pictures of them over. I can just tell by the look on or what their faces look like that, you know, he's back again. And it's, you know, probably going to be a potential deer that we're going to be after. But yeah, just mostly right now is an inventory situation. You know, just even though winter's over and you know chances of of dying now are pretty slim, but uh, it's still you know just really just making sure we know what's out there and what's likely going to be around this fall. Yeah. So the one thing I always get worried about um, in in some of these areas, and in, in my area specifically, you know, I'm I'm quite fragmented. I have um, you know pretty heavily used roads all around my property and. You know, I I always worry about, you know, deer traffic or deer getting hit by traffic. And, uh, you know, those are things that I'm paying most attention to is the deer transition from different food sources. Um, I've noticed, uh, particularly on my property, uh, I get a lot of immigration of of deer right now when I typically have those perennial food plots in. I just took those out of the equation. So I'm I'm working on a a new style of food plotting, um, and I'll probably release that over the next year or so, of, of new tactics for food plots. And I've noticed, like, normally right now, I'd be, like, pulling in a couple bachelor groups and I'd be able to inventory deer. I'm not seeing that as much. I actually got a couple solo bucks on camera. Um, and, and mm-hmm. those are the older age class deer. I, I think they're older age class, just looking at their bodies, et cetera. But, you know, it's that whole inventory thing that that's always fun right now. And some of the areas where you can use mineral um, or baiting, et cetera. I mean, it's just, that's a, that's a good means to kind of get that data. I, I can't do that in my location specifically. Mm-hmm. How are you collecting the data? I think that's, that's kind of an important thing for folks. Um, mainly on mock scrapes, you know, with licking branches. We do have some area that we can, put mineral sites out uh some some we can uh it just depends on whether it's private land or even some of the the private lands that are owned by timber companies and oil companies um they'll have basically their own set of rules and some allow you to put mineral out some don't so that's really important wherever uh you know wherever you're hunting or scouting make sure you're you know paying attention to uh you know, what laws, especially when it comes to debating, you know, even this time of year, it's not hunting season. But uh, I'm just trying to find a way to get deer, bucks in particular, to keep coming back to a certain spot. Um, more or less, just to, to kind of keep an eye on that antler growth. And, you know, once again, it's going to be out there this time of year. Um, I will say probably my number one go-to area 
is uh, young clear cuts this time of year uh, in the big woods. You know, since we don't have like food plots, and, um, any way to to throw food at them, you know, to keep them around throughout the summer. You know, it seems like those younger class clear cuts are almost like a uh, a natural food plot. So. I kind of focus a lot around those young clear cuts. They really seem to hold a lot of bucks this time of year and just a great way to keep tabs on, you know, what's going to be available this coming season. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, not a lot of areas are are being cut. And if you are cutting your property or hunting areas that are, you know, being clear cut, you know, any time of the year there there's tops on the ground um, in any capacity or there's new regrowth or regeneration as a result of those cuttings that becomes a, a huge value particularly you'll see and you know the whitetails diet's kind of funny you know you'll see this really heavy shift in herbaceous material and they're not browsing the same way they will browse in in months from now uh, and those clear cuts that just that new growth yep. is, is so advantageous uh, i was in my my backyard checking out a couple things again i got that really tall triticale that's that's up there and i'm, I'm looking at the clover and tri- uh, chicory that's coming up and i'm you know identifying different plants in that area and fleabane mm-hmm. is getting hammered i, I have uh, uh, annual fleabane back there the deer are just hammering it right now um <laughs> but you know you just look at the natural food sources across the landscape and you're trying to compare those and, and see the utilization because the utilization changes over time like jewelweed's another one i see them hammer that in, in kind of like the july month when it starts to actually get a little bit uh, larger and you know start paying attention to those food sources throughout those summer months you know, and, and that creates this level of attraction that maybe you can naturally propagate. Um, and in some cases, you don't necessarily have to have a food plot. So tangential, but again, important topic to consider. I guess the biggest thing I, I struggle with is I know, you know, these summer ranges vary. And, and I, I said talked earlier about, uh, you know, food preferences. And soybeans, mm-hmm. obviously, is the one that everyone's, you know, concentrates on. And, and of course, you know, if, if, you know, you're, you're focusing on clear cuts, you know, that, that would be your alternative to a non-food, uh, food planted source. Like we're talking about in your areas, you're pretty much dealing with, with big woods. And if anything's disturbed, uh, that's usually done by the forest service, or, you know, you may have a weather uh, system, um, you know, knock over a bunch of trees, but normally you're, you're concentrating on those in the summer months. Do those mm-hmm. also happen to be your concentration during hunting season? Um, not so much the younger clear cuts, except for maybe, uh, you know, the first couple weeks of archery season. It seems like when everything starts to dry up, the leaves fall, there's not as much green browse. You, you tend to not see, uh, quite as much activity in those, you know, younger cuts. It seems to be, uh, at least for the most part, uh, they're really in there for that green material, that green, you know, luscious browse. And once that dies off, you'll you'll see more of a transition to other food sources, especially if mast is around. Um, also, when when those you know when everything kind of dries up and fades away, those those cuts tend to be a lot more open and you know less secure for them. Where you know this time of year, um, they can bed and feed in there, even going into the early season. So it's just one of those things. Uh, it's probably you know, more of a spring, summer, early fall, you know, type of preferred habitat, but not so much, you know, in the prime of hunting season. So you just have to, uh, you kind of have to, even though it's really important to know the biology and habits of deer in your area and how they'll shift from one area to another. It's, 
there's so much science behind it. It's just, uh, it's just amazing to, uh, to kind of have to learn all this stuff. And, uh, it, it's just very interesting as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's always interesting to learn new things like this. And I was talking to one of the podcast guests uh, recently and, you know, he was strategizing with me on uh, a few different tactics for his particular area, which is, is not localized to me. And I was giving him a few recommendations and thoughts that I had to make his summer scouting a little more productive. And, you know, they're really focused on, you know, deer's ability to thermoregulate and be in cool areas, mm-hmm. uh, particularly around water sources. And you'll find that change where, you know, my area, they like to be in more aerosol locations. Typically, they're in uh, higher elevations. Uh, in those cases, they may have, you know, coniferous trees in those areas. And, um, you know, there's another component of this is cover. Cover tends to be used at certain times more than other times. So my opinion, as long as the cover is accessible, you'll notice bachelor groups uh, utilizing dense areas of cover. Um, sometimes yep. it's a misnomer. Uh, people think that uh, dense areas of cover, again, it's got to be accessible. We could probably define that more so later on, but you know, the size and shape of the deer, the deer has to be able to get in and out of those areas without too much conflict with vegetation. But uh, I, yep. I noticed, like you said earlier, I noticed them in those areas uh, quite often or just on the edge of those areas and they use them for, for back cover, et cetera. And, and you'll notice even in the, the fall months, there will be a transition into those, you know, thicker areas of cover uh, for breeding yep. purposes or security or otherwise. But I think, you know, you'll notice a change. Some of it's really weather contingent. And, you know, that's probably one of those things that I think people maybe miss out on is cover is king. I mean, it, it is always yep. valued by an animal. And and uh, this particular uh, focus that we have on this podcast is trying to figure out when they're using those. And, and I can tell you, they use them all year long. So uh, just, Absolutely. just another tidbit to add to you, Steve. Yep. Um, and, you know, that's that's kind of one, you know, one thing yeah, as far as like me running trail cameras and that it's it's a, it's amazing to, uh, you know, it's what's, what I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is it's kind of hard to figure out some of this stuff without running trail cameras in these areas. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's almost like clockwork every year. You notice it on your cameras as far as when deer show up into some of these areas and, and when they leave. And, uh, it's just, it, it you can come kind of just like rely on some of these things to happen year after year, as long as, uh, you know, the habitat doesn't change and there's not a lot of, you know, human pressure. Um, if the habitat is right and, uh, you know, everything lines up kind of the same, you know, from season to season, I just kind of go back to a lot of these same areas and, uh, keep, keep the cameras rolling and keep tabs on, you know, especially on an individual buck. And you're just kind of counting on uh, him to almost do the same thing every year. I really see the, the late spring through summer and early fall. I see that pattern probably more consistent with, with anything else throughout the whole year. Yeah, I've noticed a very consistent pattern, particularly on properties that are consistent, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, that they're managed in the same way. They have the same food sources available to them and everything, you know, that that eventually develops and grows. You have to kind of set back your environment or maintain it at a state where it continues to provide the same value. And we talked about food being a very important aspect of all this. Um, so I, I agree with you a, a thousand percent on that. Let me ask yep. you another question, and this is something people uh, are cautious of. I, I spent a lot of time on my hunting property. Uh, I was there last night at, at uh, 
10 o'clock finish, finishing up planning a food plot. Um, and uh, apparently I like to plant food plots at night and because uh, I don't have the time. Um, you do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. I, I love running a broadcast theater in the night and I, I, run, I run a headlamp. So I'm like sitting, sometimes I'll put my hand in front of the uh, broadcast seater just to see how much seeds hitting my hand, because if you're doing small seed, you, you can't really see it. But anyhow, um, so uh, where I was going with this is, you know, I'm sitting on my property and I'm trying to think about, you know, how much intrusion I'm, I'm, I'm giving it. Um, and in your case, you know, you're hunting large, vast areas, but your cameras are in specific locations. You're going and you're checking them at certain intervals. What do those intervals yep. tend to be? Uh, do you, do you let them soak longer? Is it, is it because it's far off the beaten path? You, you, you know, you, you don't want to give it as much intrusion. You'll, you'll get it when you get it. How, how do you, how do you approach that? Mm -hmm. I still tend to cluster my cameras this time of year. Um, I may not be honing in on an area with a big amount of cameras yet, just for the fact that I'm not a hundred percent sure, you know, what deer I plan to hunt next fall and exactly where but uh kind of what my strategy is like for instance you know we talked about minerals i may have like a camera on a mineral site um that's nowhere near you know might be 500 yards to a quarter mile away from possibly where i you know might hunt but i'll you know i'll check that camera sometimes a couple times a week at least weekly where i feel like you know, I can burn this spot out somewhat as far as, you know, educating these deer because this isn't where I'm going to hunt. And I really don't care if they become nocturnal in that location. Uh, you're not, especially if you have mineral, you're very unlikely you're going to push that deer completely out of that area. All he's going to do is, you know, show up in front of your cameras at night. And like I said, it doesn't really matter to me. My cameras work just as well at night as they do in the day. So, um, but I will have a camera or two, you know, in an area where I'm considering possibly hunting a per certain deer or, you know, possibly see, you know, is, is this deer still around or coming through this area? And if it's related to where I'm going to hunt, that's a camera I'm not checking very often. I might check it like, you know, once a month or sometimes I'll let them soak for a few months or the whole summer. Um, but I still believe that, uh, you know, this is kind of an important thing that some hunters overlook is especially in the big woods where I'm from deer have areas where, you know, they see very little human pressure hunting activity. They, uh, they, they count on these areas as almost like safe zones where, uh, you know, they live there a lot of times, even different times of the year, you know, they're there because no one else is ever there. They're never disturbed. And even though, you know, I'm months out from hunting season, I still don't like to put a lot of, you know, of my own presence, you know, even though it's probably just me. I, I still like to stay out of these areas as much as possible and just keep those deer thinking that, you know, this is a safe place to be. And, uh, you know, that's then it's likely going to stay that way season after season, but I'll have cameras once again in areas where I feel like, okay, I can still monitor this area and have a very low impact um, as far as, you know, how these deer are going to react to it, you know, come, come this fall. So having cameras in different locations and spots where you know that you can put a little pressure and, you know, not screw up your hunts next fall, that, that's very important and something to keep in mind. Yeah, that's a good strategy. I, I kind of like the way that you break that down. 
you know, I, I'll just go back to my own property for, for just an example, because, you know, I'm pretty tuned into everything. I've been putting a lot of pressure on my property. I'm over there all the time. I'm working mm-hmm. on things um, and I'm cutting timber all the time. Every time I go into my property, I bring a chainsaw with me. Uh, last, <laughs> last night I didn't, I, I don't cut at night. Just want to be clear to everybody. Yeah, it's not course. a safe thing to do. Um, but typically in daylight hours, every time I go on my property, I have a chainsaw with me and, uh, you know, I have a, a saw haul on, on my tractor or I bring it in the back of the UTV and I'm always leaving a tree. I always cut a tree or I'm always running the chainsaw in some capacity when I go on the property, they're used to that level of intrusion. So one of the strategies yep. may be, um, you leave some areas on your property, uh, like Steve suggested, or, you know, where you go, uh, for the deer. And then those other areas where there's a lot of human activity, you create some positive stimuli, you know, you leave them something yep. in order to keep them attracted to, to Steve's point on, on, on the lane he's talking about mineral may be that example. Um, and yep. so there isn't a negative stimuli associated with that. That's a, that's a valuable thing or something that, you know, they benefit from. So maybe that's the strategy. Maybe that's the ideal situation for you on your property. Uh, the alternative is you don't spend any time on your property and it, it just, you know, it, it becomes a sanctuary and they're not used to that level of disturbance. I'm not sure I agree with that because I think people should be using their properties as frequently as they can. I mean, what's the point of owning a property if you you can't go on it? But again, there may be areas, depending on the size of it, that you don't intrude on so much. So I think that's a a good takeaway for anybody listening to this. The other thing I, I will say is, you know, developing sanctuaries on your property is huge and Treating areas like a sanctuary, even if it's public land, is, is not a bad tactic. Of course, you've got to deal with other people in the public land scenario. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, minimizing, you know, and creating that maximal level of security, which, you know, is high up on their priority list. And that may be high, high up on their priority priority list throughout the year. It's not just during hunting season for that matter. So, Steve, I just wanted to yeah. pile on there for a second. Oh, no. Yeah. And I one thing I just kind of want to add to that is like, you know, another reason why I use that strategy and that method is, you know, yeah, it would be nice to just place a couple cameras in an area and then stay out of there for months, maybe check them like next September or, you know, right before archery season just to see, you know, what's been around and what's still there. But the problem is, is, you know, there's, there's a lot more risk of your, you know, you might, your cameras might not work properly. There's so many different things that uh, can go wrong if, if you're not also keeping, you know, constant tabs on your hunting areas. So uh, it's a lot less of a gamble if you have areas that you can monitor your main hunting area and go in there often to make sure the deer is still around. Because another thing is, is, you know, if I, if I'm noticing, you know, halfway through summer, you know, this, this area is just not producing this year. I've been checking you know, this camera weekly or whatever. And a lot of times I'll just pull out and move on to a new area. And it kind of just gets me more ahead of the game and more prepared for the upcoming season. So, uh, you know, once again, there's, there's so much to, especially, you know, how I, how I run cameras and, and cluster them. We can probably even someday do a whole, you know, different podcast on that. But, uh, overall it's very hard to monitor an area and uh to do it right you know just by you know having one or two cameras but um if i if i can uh if i can still leave areas you know without without hardly putting much pressure on deer and letting those deer just 
use them naturally and, and on a regular basis, but still be able to monitor um, and stay in there often. Uh, I really, like I said, that strategy there is, has really been effective for me throughout several years. I've done that. Yeah, that's interesting. So one thing that this all kind of brought to mind to me, I'm thinking about when you have the data and you know a deer is alive and we start there, it's alive. And, uh, you know, we look at its growth throughout the summer months as it kind of phases into that, you know, antler development stage and each, each deer grows at different rates. And, uh, that's always important and fun to watch. And you compare the, you know, the growth from one year to the next year. If, If you're in that situation, a lot of people aren't, um, we're yep. kind of trying to inventory numbers, inventory age class, those type of things. How detailed do you get into the information? Do you start to digest what bedding areas they're using or, you know, how frequently they're they're going to an area or, or maybe even weather conditions? Is, is there any play into that or is it just, is that is that something that's irrelevant uh, long-term um, and, and you're just happy that they're in a particular area and they're, they're being, you know, resident to, you know, maybe that area and it's maybe follows under an, an annual pattern. What do you, do you take it any further than just it's alive? Oh, absolutely. Um, and especially about this time of year, um, you know, I know of several bucks that, that either my clients are going to hunt or uh, some that I might go after from just, you know, last postseason, whether I was shed hunting or, you know, just checking cameras late winter. And I knew that they survived the winter, they survived hunting season. So, but once again, um, there's so many different things that you can't guarantee that, you know, they're going to be doing the same thing again every year or, or did they, are they still alive? You just never know. You brought up earlier the fact that, you know, maybe they get hit by a vehicle or something, but right now, especially is a time of year when, I'm really trying to see, you know, okay, what for sure is going to be out there for next hunting season. And if I'm locating a a buck that, you know, like a target buck this time of year, right about now and probably within the next month to, you know, 40 days, um, I am starting to really get aggressive with predicting stand sites, putting more cameras out. I mean, I've put as many as 20, 30 cameras out in, you know, maybe like a half acre area, you know, this time of year to really try to hone down on, you know, what a buck is going to be doing and what, you know, is he still going to be around in that area next fall? But yeah, right now is, is a very important time of year for me as far as making sure that a certain buck still exists. And I feel like if I can get a lot of that work done now, it might even be something like, uh, you know, clearing, clearing some shooting lanes and, you know, trying to get all that work done ahead of time versus if you, you know, you go into those areas next September, next October, I really don't want to put much presence and have any impact at all. So I'm just trying to get a lot of that work done um, right now. And then I'll leave those a lot of, especially even trail cameras. I might, you know, I might have 15 cameras that I don't even hardly check all summer on a certain buck, uh, just for the fact that I'm just trying to, uh, completely stay out of those areas and leave them raw and natural. And then I might, you know, maybe we get a real good rainy day in September when I feel like it will wash my scent away quickly. I might go in there a couple weeks before the season or, you know, sometimes even sooner than that and do a good trail cam check and, and just try to uh, see what that deer has been doing all summer and 
going into next fall and is he, you know, is he doing things similar to what he did last year and really then start to uh, gather all that intel and then come up with a plan for the upcoming season. Are you using cellular camera cameras in certain areas? Very few. I'd like to use more. I mean, I, well, I say very few. I usually run probably about 10 or so, but you're talking to a guy that rarely has less than 150 cameras out. So uh, the problem is, is yeah, I, I love cell cameras, but where, where we're at, there's just extremely, you know, little cell cell reception. So it's very hard to, uh, to run them, uh, you know, where you want them. Um, I think though, by far, they are a game changer. My number one thing that I've always said about cell cameras is, it's not that I'm lazy. I don't mind going to check a camera, but being able to monitor areas without having to go in there. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate key to, to running and using a cell camera. So, um, but my biggest issue is I just don't get enough reception in a lot of the areas that I hunt. Yeah. For me, it's, it ends up being a time thing and, you know, with family and all yeah. that kind of stuff, if I can just get the data and obviously yep. your, your point, I agree as well. You know, not the human intrusion thing is a, is a bad thing. And I'm hunting really small areas. You know, some of these properties I, I hunt are, yep. are really small, uh, including my own. So, you know, that level of intrusion is always significant. And, and you can design a property as, as good as you want. You can segregate it. You can make it kind of buried and compartmentalized. But, you know, they hear you, smell you, see you. It's, it's hard to do that on, on little properties. So cell cameras yep. are always a, a good option for people that have, um, you know, good cell reception. So, so I don't know. I don't, sure. I, don't I, I don't really have any, anything else to talk about or anything that's on my mind. I think it's, you know, we've kind of hit a bunch of the high points is inventory, focus on food sources, really get, get out in the field and uh, start looking at what deer are browsing on and eating. I think that's really important. And uh, I think to your point is, you know, don't keep your cameras indoors. I've got a bunch of cameras in a pile down there and I, I got to get them out in the field. I, I need the data, right? We, yeah. we need to collect data, see who lives, see who died and see how the progression is through the season and start to boil down. You know, if you have access to areas around you, you know, see if you're hunting a big area, you know, those cameras may be expanded and then they eventually contract to a certain particular area, but you can see their movement patterns. I mean, you know, it's, it's not safe to say that deer, you know, um, they may stay their summer and fall range may be the same. It may expand. It may be a mile, it may be five miles. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, not all deer are the same, you know, the GPS studies have proven that when you build your property well, or you're hunting areas that are well-managed, you know, you can shrink those core ranges down of deer uh, and make their home range uh, their summer and fall. I've I've done it on my own property. I've done it on multiple properties. So that's, uh, you know, that that's something that I think people maybe have missed at, at some point. So uh, that's kind of my, yep. my rant here for the end. Do you want to? Yeah, one, yeah. If, if you don't mind, one other thing I'd just like to touch on is like, you know, if you do have a deer that's showing up right now and you know for sure it's going to be a target buck, like I think it's important for me to mention that the kind of areas that, uh, you know, that I'm going to start thinking of putting cam, you know, more cameras out and you know, possibly even hanging some stands now. But, you know, I think you want to be thinking of where he's going to be bedding next fall. You want to be figuring out, okay, what are uh, some of his uh, fall food sources going to be? Uh, doe bedding is going to be extremely important. And just kind of cluster cameras and, you know, prepare stand sites in a lot of those, you know, types of areas and places you think you can predict where he's going to be next fall. And, uh, you know, then once again, like I said, you can uh, you can go into next fall not having to do as much work. You're not putting as much scent on the ground. 
Uh, you're definitely not alerting him and letting him know that he's being hunted. And then you'll even see, uh, you know, because they do have somewhat of a, you know, they'll have summer area, they might have fall areas. But no matter what, I'll notice that a buck will, he'll occasionally go through a doe bedding area, even this time of year, just to kind of check and, you know, see what's going on, who's still around. You'll still get occasional pictures, uh, you know, all throughout his home range, even a lot of times throughout the summer. Uh, it's not that you'll get a lot of intel, but you'll, even one picture in a doe bedding area, you know, say in July, can that can be all you need for, you know, going into next November. Remember him what he did, because uh, he's certainly going to remember, you know, where the girls were. And even though I, I did a post recently, uh, you know, I, I obviously we all know it's not the rut right now, but I'm telling you, they still, they still have, you know, a tiny little trickle of testosterone coming through even throughout the summer. And they will still go through and start to think, okay, where are there going to be does and what am I going to do next fall? So there's still important information and Intel that you can gather throughout this summer that will definitely uh, be a huge benefit coming next hunting season. Love that. I couldn't echo anything different. That was a great point to end on. Steve, thanks for being on, man. And uh, we'll catch back up with you. We, we've got a, a buck that you're you're tracking, and I'll give a little more insight into a couple of deer that, that I'm going to go after, and I'll even give you an idea when I'm going to kill them. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, I think this year I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put dates together, and I might lay out my whole plan for everyone to see how strategic you can really be. I sat down with one of the guests that was just on this podcast and, you know, I had mentioned over the past, I don't even know, eight years, how many times I've hunted and and it's been hunting, you know, with family and friends, but strategy wise, you know, trying to minimize the amount of time I'm spending in a field so I can, you know, maximize my opportunity. And we'll kind of try to break that down maybe together. And, and I know that you're working with a a larger client base and uh, from the standpoint of you're helping people out, I'm I'm not doing much of that at all. Uh, But, but, you know, being strategic and and making sure that the time that you spend a field is most effective is really critical to this whole process. And, you know, it makes hunting a lot more fun when you're successful or you just see deer for that matter. And and sometimes, you know, that that's the more important thing and, and just enjoying the experience. So, I figured I'd put my two cents in there at the end. Absolutely, bud. And, uh, nope, you just tell me when uh, you want to chat again. You know I'm always up for it. I always enjoy talking with you. So thanks a lot for having me. All right, Steve. Thanks for being on, man. Talk to you soon. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.